I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy, a movie podcast where we delve into the world of cinema and explore what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zach Rancourt, and every week I bring together other film enthusiasts to analyze, discuss, and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we explore the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that I ask is don't be crazy. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Another special guest on the show today who's becoming a series regular, Amanda Jane Stern, back in action. Amanda, how are you today? I'm doing well. I am so excited to talk about this movie. I, I I know I've been pushing it a while <laughs> it's I, I'm glad I rewatched this because it's been so long since I'd seen it and I saw that it came out in 1998 so I was 11 when that came out okay. um, and and all of my memories still hold up from an 11 year old you know did you watch say, it at 11 uh, I was probably 11 or 12 so prepubescent pubescent boy who was just like wild things oh yeah okay um, I, I was yeah. five when it came out um, so I did not watch it when it came out. <laughs> yeah, I saw it on like Cinemax or something when I was a that, kid. Yeah, that makes sense. That definitely. Like after 10 p.m. sort of thing, like staying up and closing the door and putting a towel underneath the door so oh, the light yeah. doesn't show through so my parents don't know I'm awake. No, yeah, it was one that... of those movies I knew and I heard a lot about. And obviously I knew about the pool scene and I think I'd seen that but I didn't actually see the movie in full in, until my 20s. And I watched it and I thought, Holy shit, this movie is amazing. <laughs> well, I, I'm excited then because uh, you will have a lot to say about this and um, you can kind of clear some stuff up for me. Of course, that movie that we are talking about is Wild Things from 1998. Uh, it was directed by John McNaughton, who, you know, his his resume is interesting. There are a lot of movies I haven't seen or heard of, except for Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which I've never seen, but I know enough about to make me never want to watch it because it looks highly, highly disturbing. Yeah. Um, I've seen some images of it and it's just one of those movies that I, uh, I don't feel I could watch because it just would kind of, it, it get me. Um, it stars Michael Rooker um, who does an amazing job in it apparently, but yeah, John McDonough directed that um, wild things was written by Steven Peters. It stars Nev Campbell, Denise Richards, Kevin Bacon, Matt Dillon, Teresa Russell, Daphne Rubin Vega, Bill Murray, and Robert Wagner. Robert Wagner. Critical reception, it, uh, it's a passing grade. It's a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes was a little more kind to it. Uh, the critics gave it a 64%, and uh, the audience gave it a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. So not very um, not very good from the audience Fuckers. there. I wonder what they were missing. <laughs> um, I watched it on Hulu. That is what it is streaming on. Do you own it or did you watch it on Hulu as well? I should own it, but I watched it on Hulu as well. Yeah, it seemed to be the easiest with Hulu. The thing I didn't like about it was I have just the free Hulu, or not the free Hulu, but the ad, the Same. one with the ads. And like there were two breaks in it where I was like, are you kidding me? I'm trying to watch this movie. So that was that was kind of annoying to me, but I digress. Actually, you know what? I don't think I have Hulu with ads 
two, but I only had one ad break for some reason. Oh, well, look yeah, at you, lucky, lucky I duck. <laughs> I'm I just thinking back, I'm like, oh, wait, it, I remember one annoying me and then there were no more. Yeah, um, I was kind of, I was just annoyed by the timing of it, but it's okay. It's, you know, it happens. I'm not opposed to the ad-based. I actually think it's fine. Um, I, I think they should all come at the beginning. Just give me like 10 minutes of ads at the beginning and then give me the movie. That's typically, we watched The Invisible Man the other day, and that was on Peacock. And Peacock, they give you 200 seconds of ads, and then that way throughout the entire film, you don't have to watch ads. And I, I, I I'm like all that. for that. I think that's yeah, great. Exactly. I think exactly. that's perfect. Do it that way, then you're not breaking anything up. And I'm fine with the ads if it means I don't pay or pay less. I'm I'm a-okay with that. Yeah. I agree. I'm I a hundred percent agree with that. When we go see movies in theaters, there's ads before it, so why not just do that? Exactly. I'm okay watching commercials at the beginning and then I don't have to throughout the whole thing. Yeah. So uh, the estimated budget for Wild Things was about twenty million dollars. Um, and in the US and Canada total it grossed thirty point uh, let's just say thirty point one million dollars. Opening weekend in US and Canada was on March twenty second, nineteen ninety eight. Uh, and it made $9.6 million. So worldwide worldwide numbers are unknown, but uh, it said $30.166 million. Um, I don't think that's entirely accurate. They probably just didn't take into account the other, the other countries. Few fun facts. Before the filming of an outdoor scene by the river, a gaffer was fixing the lights and noticed something floating by the river. It was a dead body. The police were called, and when they arrived, they anchored it to the dock out of sight of the camera. Excuse me. They removed it after the scene was shot. That's uh, that's that's some Florida stuff right there. It's so Florida. It's like it's so Florida. Florida man. <laughs> oh my God, I spent the entire day researching a case in Florida, and then I watched this movie. It's that's that that blows my mind. I I would not want to film. I mean, I just but I guess the show goes on. It's just that's that's crazy to me. A dead body. I think they they found out later that it wasn't a murder or anything. It was just like a drunk guy who fell into the swamp. Oh, it's still sad, though. It is. But at least it's not a murder. Yeah, true. So according to Nev Campbell in an interview for Entertainment Weekly at the time of the film's release, she, Denise Richards, and Matt Dillon all got slightly drunk on tequila in order to get past the nervousness of doing the three-way love scene. That's because there was um, no intimacy coordinator. And I have some questions about that later because you are a <laughs> intimacy coordinator yourself and you are somewhat of a savant of the sex scene. I'm so. not an intimacy coordinator, but I, I know, work but you with them I mean. a lot <laughs> and I do love their job and I do write sex scenes a lot and think about them a lot. Yeah. Sex slaves. That's what, <laughs> uh, that's what they say on, on Get Out. <laughs> Um, okay. In an interview with Maxim Magazine, Kevin Bacon noted that he has no nud- he has a no nudity clause in his contract, and that he was a producer of the movie. So technically, he could have sued himself because uh, there is that shot where Kevin Bacon gets thrown a towel, and boom, he hangs oh, yeah. dong it is. right in front of the camera, fully there. Um, I appreciate yeah, you it. see his his penis, and he apparently had yeah that no nudity clause, but he embraced it. And, and in he fact, ran with it. The only other nudity is a brief shot of Denise Richards' boobs. And it's it's very yeah. brief. You see his penis for longer than you see her boobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it all is. All hail it the is, bacon. <laughs> all hail the bacon. Yeah, bacon and eggs. It's it's very it is very brief. Yeah, the, like you you see her side boob mostly. Like it's not a full on. For him, that is full on. You see the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um 
Hey, more power to him, man. He mm-hmm. uh, he was he was all about it. So <laughs> yeah, go for bacon. I and we will talk about how much I respect him with this movie later on in terms of what was supposed to also happen in that shower scene. Mm-hmm. So much to Hell say. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, here is a spoiler-filled synopsis for anyone who has not seen Wild Things. If you would like to skip it, go ahead and jump ahead about five minutes. In the upscale Miami suburb of Blue Bay, wealthy Kelly Van Ryan accuses her school guidance counselor, Sam Lombardo, of raping her. Following the accusation, her outcast classmate, Susie Toller, who comes from a poor family in the Everglades, makes a similar accusation. Sam hires attorney Kenneth Bowden to defend him. At trial Susie succumbs to pressure during cross-examination and admits that she and Kelly concocted the false allegations to get revenge on Sam Susie for his for his failure to bail her out of jail on a minor drug ring charge and Kelly for his affair with her mother real estate heiress Sandra Van Ryan Sam and Kenneth negotiate an 8.5 million dollar settlement for defamation which Sandra pays out using funds from a trust Kelly would receive only upon Sandra's death After the payout, it is revealed that Sam and the two girls were accomplices, using the trial to extort money from Sandra. Police detective Ray Duquette suspects the trio are working a scam against the wishes of the district attorney's office. He continues investigating Sam. He tells Kelly and Susie that Sam has already transferred the money to an offshore account. Susie panics and goes to Kelly, who comforts her. Kelly, however, calls Sam and tells him they may have to get rid of Susie. In the pool, Susie attacks Kelly. They fight, but eventually end up kissing, while watched by Ray, unbeknownst to them. A few nights later at the beach, Sam bludgeons Susie to death while Kelly waits nearby. The two then drive to the swamp, where Sam disposes of the plastic wrap body. Ray and his partner, Detective Gloria Perez, investigate Susie's disappearance. Her blood and teeth are found at the beach, while her car is located abandoned at a bus terminal. The DA's office again insists that Ray drop the case, but he asks Gloria to watch Sam. Sam shows Gloria his files from the school on Kelly, which suggests she is troubled and violent. Meanwhile, Ray goes to the Van Ryan's guest house to confront the scared and upset Kelly, but they end up shooting each other. Sandra rushes over as Ray stumbles out of the house. Uh, He has sustained a gunshot wound to the shoulder, while Sandra discovers Kelly dead from two shots to the chest. Ray claims he was forced to shoot Kelly in self-defense. No charges are filed against him, but he is dismissed from the force for disobeying orders. It is revealed that Sam is in cahoots with Ray. Although Sam is displeased, Ray killed Kelly instead of simply framing her for Susie's murder. He agrees that they now have fewer loose ends to deal with. The two go sailing on Sam's boat, where Sam attempts to kill Ray when Ray fights back. uh, Kill Ray, period. (laughs) When Ray fights back, he is shot and killed with a spear gun by Susie, who staged her murder with Sam. Susie reveals she was motivated to kill Ray to avenge the murder of her best friend, Davey, whom Ray wrongfully shot to death and framed as in self-defense killing. Sam reluctantly accepts a drink from Susie, who assures him she would not double-cross him. However, upon drinking it, he realizes that he has poisoned that she has poisoned it before Susie knocks him overboard and sails into the sunset. Several mid-credit scenes reveal that Susie was the ultimate mastermind of the plot. Upon finding that Sam and Kelly were in a sexual relationship, Susie blackmailed Sam with photographs of the two using drugs during sex, convincing him to help her with her scheme. Susie subsequently orchestrated the meeting between Sam and Ray at a local bar. Later, during her stage murder on the beach, Susie pulled out her own teeth with pliers to make her death appear legitimate. 
It is also revealed that Ray shot Kelly before shooting himself in the shoulder to pretend he killed her in self-defense. Finally, with Kelly, Ray, and Sam all dead, Susie is met by Kenneth, who gives her a briefcase full of cash that he describes as just walking around money and a check for millions of dollars as she leaves. As she leaves, he tells her to be good before taking her drink. That is wild things. Lots of twists, lots of turns. Go, Susie. Lots of Nev Campbell. <laughs> um, it's great stuff. Party of five. So Matt Dillon, I recognize him from tons of movies. The Outsiders, uh, so, something about Mary and various other movies when he was a younger teen heartthrob. Um, he's a handsome man. He's always kind of been a heartthrob. And, and it's it's probably why they cast him to play Lombardo. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's easy on the eyes. Exactly. I mean, and who isn't good looking in this movie? It's I, it is quite ridiculous. They all look like they're 30, you know, and they're trying to play high schoolers and they're all attractive. Yeah. So it's kind of kind of ridiculous. So um, it is it, it's great. I did and not look like that in high school. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was like in a hoodie. and I, I definitely look like a kid. I mean, I, but in my mind, I thought I looked like that. But looking back, I did not. Yeah. And he, you know, with the casting of him, it was it made it very believable that he was the hunky high school educator, you know, that that most of these these 30 something year old girls who are trying to be 18 year old <laughs> girls were attracted to. Um, they did that awesome POV shot where everybody's looking at him and mm-hmm. all pretty much every girl that walks by him smiles and is like, oh, my gosh, and is whispering. Uh, so my question to you is, did you ever have a teacher in high school who was kind of like Mr. Lombardo? Um, and whether they were attractive or not, did you ever know of any type of teacher controversy at your school or maybe like a neighboring school? Sure did. Um, actually, my freshman year, he wasn't hot. It wasn't the same kind of scandal. Um, there was a history teacher slash model UN advisor who got fired for um, like massaging female students' shoulders. Oh my gosh. And we had another teacher who all of the the girls, we would joke, you knew when his fiance was sleeping with him based on how much he flirted with select female students. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um I, I remember him well. And he he'd be the one who would also like get you in trouble for dress code violations, but that was very selective based on you know, if you were just really skinny and didn't have any assets, you didn't get in trouble. If you had a butt, mm-hmm. you know, oh, no, your skirt's too short. Your shorts are too short. Why are you looking at my butt? Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. I don't I don't I don't like that. It's I I, I think it's and we talked about this, too. I mean, it's definitely grooming. Um, in a certain sense with, uh, you know, you hear about Mary Kay Letourneau and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, Mary Kay Letourneau is actually from Washington State. Oh <laughs> and I was out at a bar years and years and years ago. Um, Mary Kay Letourneau died a few years ago, but this was oh, while yeah, she was I alive. That. I saw her at a bar and I met her and her her husband, the one that, you know, oh, they, yeah, that was a kid student. when he's in school. Yeah, they were still married, um, but he was the DJ at this place I went to. Oh. And I just was like, oh, my gosh, well, this is crazy. That's Mary Kay Letourneau. French president. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just just weird stuff. So well, I remember. So my senior year, there was a so I went to a school that was a K through 12. I was only there for high school. Um, but my senior year, there was a teacher who was in the elementary school, who I had like met once or twice just running into him. We 
he like ran a, a lunch program for the elementary school students the same period that my lunch was. And we got to go outside and there was like, there was a cool car- courtyard. Um, and he would be like oddly flirty with me. Mm-hmm. He was a, a young teacher. Um, and then I got in trouble for that. You got in trouble? I got in trouble for that. And I remember, and the school called my dad. And my dad says to me, and he goes, if this man comes near you, you did not do anything. Call mm-hmm. me. I will bring hell. My dad's a lawyer. So <laughs> he would. <laughs> but I remember like crying about this to our assistant principal, who was a woman, who, and I remember she distinctly said to me, because this this was well over a decade ago now, um, you know, you're very mature and he's a young teacher, newly married, and he's just afraid. And it's like, wait, wait, why am I in trouble for him flirting with me? Mm -hmm. And of course, in my mind as a teenager, I'm thinking, oh, yes, obviously, I'm just so precocious and mature. Now, as a 30-year-old woman, I'm like, wait, no, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Right? That's twisted. Yeah, but that was that era. It was the... You know, she's mature for her age. And then when you are that girl and you grow up, you're like, no, I wasn't. I was just another fucking mm-hmm. teenager. I think it's really important to remember when we when we discuss life and movies and things like that um, from the 90s or from that era. If you didn't grow up in that era, it's very easy to just look back and be like, well, that's super messed up. Mm-hmm. You know, why would people get away with that? And it's it's OK for people to say, well, it was just part of the times. It doesn't make it right. It just you, you kind of had to be there to to experience it. It explains a lot. It explains it ex- a lot of our mentalities and why we still have to stop ourselves when we start to fall back into those old mindsets and say, "Wait, no, that is exactly. not the right way to think about this." Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and I think that tying this back to wild things, um, that's where because I'll go into some of my stories too. I have that's where this can be be such a believable plot. Mm-hmm. Um, to a certain degree, right? Without as many twists and turns. Yes. But it feels like every day we read something on the news or we see a true crime documentary on Netflix about something like this. Like this this could be some sort of um, true crime podcast or something of how they got away with murder or how they got away with whatever um, extortion. And it's unfortunate because we do see situations like this with uh, educators having relationships with their students. Um, uh, so my partner, she is an educator and she's from Mississippi. There was a town there that, uh, I'll just refrain from saying the town, but a teacher, female English teacher, uh, had a secret relationship with a high school student and they're now married and have a kid and everything. Um, it wasn't, so it, it wasn't until after he graduated that it, that it came out. But I mean, come on, clear, clear as day that she was grooming him. Mm-hmm. And, and it's 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 terrible. And usually, you know, we see the man grooming the the gal, but this was the other way around. And that just goes to show it, it could happen for, mm-hmm. for whatever gender. Um, but it is a believable and kind of a, a weird thing. So I could see that happening in wild things. And so that's why it is a it is a fascinating fascinating uh plot device for sure um and i also think because we we do have to address the whole thing about false rape allegations and how it's being used in this movie but here's the thing when you actually find out the relationship they're not false 
those are his students. It doesn't matter that they're 18. The relationships yeah. could have started prior to that. And he was their educator. So just because the story they're telling on the stand is, is a made-up story, that relationship was still actually rape. Right, yeah. So it's and not he, a false allegation. Yeah, and he's in a position of power too. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's it's it, it's rough, you know? It's, um, it's hard to think about. But there was, aside from that too, there was another teacher controversy we had at our school that wasn't, it wasn't necessarily romantic at all. Um, I mean, well, I'll say, so we had this teacher, everyone, you know, was always like, oh man, she's so hot. And she was always the hot Spanish teacher. Nothing ever came of that that I know of, but it was funny because the seniors would always try to be like flirting with her and she was very quick to shut it down. So good on her. Um, cause she just knew she's like, I ain't playing these games. Yeah. But, uh, the sad story was there were two teachers at the school that were married. One of the, the, or the guy was the football coach or was like my freshman football coach. Well, after I graduated, found out that he ended up beating his wife with a hammer. Um, I don't know if he killed her, but I think he put her like in a coma. It was, it was pretty, it was messed up. And, um, I don't know the entirety of the story, but like just hearing about that, I was like, Oh my God, like, you don't expect that to happen. And and I think that's something that we forget is we look at educators and uh, people who were important in our formative years as almost untouchable or, you know, oh, my God, I can't believe that I saw, you know, Miss Miss Anderson outside of school drinking a beer. That was insane. Like she's supposed to live at the classroom, right? Like that's always yeah. what what Candace says, my partner, what she says about stuff. We, we saw this little girl that she teaches and she's like, hey, it's Miss C. And the girl just stared at her. And and then she's like, she's probably thinking like, wait, don't you live at, at school? Why are yeah. you outside? So, my my sister-in-law yeah. was a preschool teacher and and just the kids learning that she was a person outside of that school. yeah. Mind blown. It's, Wait, Miss yeah. Charlotte has siblings? What? Miss Charlotte has a mommy? What? <laughs> it's it's so weird to, to see that, to see your teachers, um, you know, be human. I remember I was in drama and stuff. So uh, middle school, I was in our school plays. And then when I went freshman year, I came back to help out with the the eighth grade class there. And I was um, doing stagehand stuff and just helping the directors. There were two teachers and the English teacher. He told me to go get a battery from his camera. And this is this is on like a, a Saturday. So no one's at school. So I go into his classroom and I'm digging through his camera bag and I find a bag of weed. And I, I'd never seen weed at this point. I was like 15 or some 14 or something. And I never seen weed. And I'm like, oh, my God, like <laughs> this is crazy. And I felt like I just, you know, I don't know. It, it was the, the craziest thing. And I was in somewhat of a shock, but I, it took me a while. And I realized, oh, yeah, I mean, he's an English teacher in middle school. It's probably yeah. his medicine. He probably needs that to, like, <laughs> deal with these little shits. So, yeah, yeah. it was it was fascinating. But I do think that it is a, a very believable plot device for for especially a place like Florida, like where, you know, you said you did some research on some some Florida true crime stuff and. I'm sure this is very tame compared to what you've you've found. <laughs> I mean, oh, Florida, but oh yeah, no, I and I I think I I have some good reasons why they set this in Florida, and I guess we'll get to that. Yeah, but but yeah, no, I think I think this one's really smart. This movie, I think it it does a lot, and I think part of the reason it might not have gotten such great reviews at the time it came out is that it's almost a little ahead of its time. Yeah, I feel like that's that's the case for a lot of movies yeah. that we've like Jennifer's Body, our last yeah. podcast we did. That was the same way. Um, and it Definitely. was marketed poorly. It was marketed mm-hmm. to frat boys. This movie, too, I feel like was marketed to frat boys in a certain sense. Yeah. And I don't um, know that that's really the audience. 
No, I don't think it is. It's not. It's it's an erotic thriller that came at you know the the end of the erotic thriller boom basically mm-hmm. and erotic thrillers came out of film noir so that's what they're doing they're playing with the that genre and they're taking everything that doesn't work in the older erotic thrillers they're taking all of the extreme sexism and they're turning it on its head like they are really they're playing with the treacherous bisexual tropes with with kelly and Susie, and they are saying actually these women aren't treacherous it's just that they're using what they need to do and they're they're skewing your perception of them Mm -hmm. so like that scene in the pool they know duquette's watching i i think they fully know he is there yeah I think Absolutely. Susie knows every single moment. Well, and we'll jump to that. We'll just jump to question four then. I mean, because when you ask someone to tell you something about the movie Wild Things, like if I go up to a friend, uh, specifically a male, and I'm like, hey, have you seen Wild Things? You know, chances are they're going to be like, oh, man, that pool scene with Denise Richards and Nev Campbell, like the hottie hots or something, you know, and it's for good reason. It's 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 a memorable it scene. Yeah, it's hot, right? It you know, early early pubescent Zach, like I was saying, I was like 11 or 12 when this came out. I loved it because boobs, right? But but grown-up Zach, who has my my um, cinephile lenses on, I enjoyed it because it was choreographed quite well. And it was actually really purposeful to the story, mm-hmm. especially when you find out that um, Nev Campbell is, is scheming it all. And to see her so vulnerable, you're like, ooh, that was really good. It's really, it's lit really well, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... It's good. It's 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 a good scene. So and and Amanda, I said you know you're a sex scene expert, uh, savant. <laughs> let's let's say it. Um, I, I do want to hear your thoughts on the sex scenes in Wild Things no, because we I also have the, the threesome scene too. Um, and so I'm just kind of uh you know curious on that. Um, so did they enhance or did they hurt the film for you? No, the film needs it. It's such a huge part, and Perfect. I I will argue that there's a sex scene that was originally written in that got cut that should have also been there. I, I am very pro the sex scenes in this movie. I think it, it explains a lot of character motivation. It's used as a tool. I think it's so important. And they're not, they're not graphic. They're not like basic instinct graphic sex scenes. They are still actually pretty tame and tasteful when you really watch them. As I said, the only nudity within a sex scene you see is a brief shot of Denise Richards' side boob. And I think Neve Campbell has a no nudity writer in in all of her contracts, so she never goes nude. You yeah. see nothing of Matt Dillon, um, you know. So you just see that brief. As I said, they show you more of Kevin Bacon in a non sex scene than they do Denise Richards in a sex scene. You don't see butts. You don't see vaginas. Um, so no, I'm super pro it, and and it's also. As I said, I think they know that Duquette's there. So it is playing with the voyeurism that's inherent in the erotic thriller genre. So much of that is like, have you seen Basic Instinct? A very long time ago. I mean, I I know the famous scene, you know, when she crosses and uncrosses her legs. Right, Um, but there's so much about voyeurism in that movie. And I, I think that this is really playing with the fact that if you watch it, and you know what, we should totally do it, um, because I have lots to say, he's a terrible cop. And and the movie doesn't necessarily see him as much of a villain as he really is. Wild Things saw Basic Instinct and said, no, no, no. He is the villain of this movie. Mm-hmm. And they made yeah. him the villain of the movie. And I, I think that's part of what makes it so smart. And, and to the Florida thing, 
They're hearkening back to body heat. That's exactly what they're doing. They're playing with the idiot lawyers, the idiot men in law enforcement and, and saying these women always had the upper hand because mm -hmm. these men think nothing of them. They think they're sexual objects that they can use for their plans, but they're not their plans. They're just puppets. Yeah. Susie. Mm -hmm. Susie is the puppet master. She this, is. She does it brilliantly. And I think Ken Bowden, the the only person who you would, I mean, you take him as kind of a dumbass at times too, with his freaking neck brace and whatnot. He's, he was in on it too with her. She, she convinced him and he's like, well played pretty much. He loves show. He's all for performance. If you see all of the, mm -hmm. the post, the pictures in his office, he's yeah, definitely sleazy, but he wins his cases. His clients all get their money from their fake injuries. Yeah. And I think the the sex scenes are they definitely enhanced, just like you're saying too, because they're important to show mm -hmm. what the motivation for some of this was too, and whether it was Lombardo playing Kelly Ryan um, or playing Susie, or so he thought. You know, it wasn't necessarily just about the sex, but that's how it kind of stuck up. And Kelly Kelly Ryan, you know, she's like, "I love you, Mr. Lombardo," and he probably was like, "Yeah, I'm not. That's not what this is about," but. He's going with it, and and I think it it, it helped kind of um, confuse the audience a little more. So I think that they were they were important to add in there. Well, here's uh, what I wonder. Um, I wonder. So when it, we're shown in that flashback in the credits that she has the photos of him and Kelly. Mm -hmm. Obviously, uh, Bowden probably took those photos, but was Kelly already in on it? Yeah, that's a good. That's a good that's question. That's what I think. I I think the real romance at the heart of it is Kelly and Susie, and I I think it's just another person that Susie loves, who Duquette kills, because that's what he does. He is a dirty motherfucker. Yeah, I mean that's definitely an interesting theory. I, I didn't even think about that. You're right. It, it very much could be. I mean, it's with them kissing in the pool. We then cut to them driving out to the, uh, the the beach and then they still kiss there and they mm -hmm. share like that kind of intimate moment. Um, so it's interesting to continue on that. It's not just a we're aroused and we're going to make out and this is just fanfare for the frat boys out there. No, their it intimacy was, is actually yeah more, I don't want to say more intimate, but more emotional than any of the other intimacy. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, let me ask you ask you this then. Do you have examples of other great besides you know you said basic instinct, but do you have any other examples of other great or terrible sex scenes in in film? I mean, I think the basic instinct sex scenes are pretty terrible. The only thing <laughs> sure. getting any sexual yeah. pleasure is that bed. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yes, good examples. I love The Handmaiden. Oh, the yeah. South Korean movie, and I think that's also an example of a movie using an intimacy coordinator before they were really a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so they really like took pains to do it in a safe way for the actresses. Um, it's not as explicit as the ones we're talking about, but there's a sex scene in, in the Hulu movie Fresh. Mm, mm -hmm. and there's I haven't just, seen Fresh yet. It's great. I, I, I know Oh, it is, it's yeah. so good. Oh my God, I love that movie. I think it is, it, it falls into the same thing that Wild Things does for me, where a lot of movies will pull back from where I want them to go, from where I want them to take it. Just like go full anger, go like really fuck it up, go for the next twist. And yeah. Wild Things does that. And Fresh does the same with female rage that they just go there. And I'm like, thank God. I'm not yelling at these women <laughs> to stop being idiots. 
but they're like fucking pissed off and it's great but there's a sex scene in that that i really appreciated as well yeah okay uh any other terrible ones that you can think of so many terrible ones um i mean <laughs> i used to write a column called anatomy of a sex scene where i talked about filming sex scenes um mm-hmm. so if we want to talk terrible ones last tango in paris you Never know seen it. the oh boy lots to talk about there um the stuff that happened on the set of blue is the warmest color okay that real bad um traumatizing to the actors not good (laughs) usually you know when someone's traumatized i i think it's a bad idea but i also think in in things like basic instinct where it's just poorly choreographed where it's like oh um showgirls that scene in the pool have joe esther has or paul verhoeven ever had sex with a woman I don't know. I it's really terrible. don't know because that's not like not to be like, wow, I've had so much sex and know exactly everything about it. But like, that's not how it works. I I'll interject there just because I also have that as one of the worst sex scenes. However, I'm a huge Paul Ber- uh, Paul Verhoeven fan. And for me, he is incredibly I don't want to say sardonic, but he has his finger on the pulse of of satire basically and so with total recall and robocop and starship troopers um you know obviously like anti-war anti-violence and uh basically our our reliance on the gratuity uh, gratuitous violence and and showgirls is his um commentary on us as u.s citizens loving sex and loving nudity and and the only thing that i would say just from the other side is this is his example of being uh overly egregious when it comes to shooting a sex scene it's it's ridiculous she's bouncing up and down in the pool splashing everywhere no one in their right mind would ever derive any pleasure from that because it's just she's just splashing in a pool and it's it's out of control but maybe that's what he was going for on purpose was to show how ridiculous this is because if you if you do um i mean there are people out there that you know, they will just watch porn and that's how they think sex should always be, right? Right. It should be the guy or the girl saying ridiculous things and in the most ridiculous positions and not having any intimacy. And I think that's maybe what he's trying to say about this is, is it's this facade that some people look at when in reality it's like, you know, she wasn't really making love. I mean, I actually like Showgirls. It's a terrible movie. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun until that scene at the end that yeah. is gratuitous, unnecessary, and so unnecessary. kills all of the momentum because the movie and from interviews with Esther House, who wrote the script, mm-hmm. he, you know, was really trying to make a commentary about sex work. And like mm-hmm. the dangers of being a showgirl in Vegas, but clearly never spoke to a showgirl in Vegas. Yeah, um, it, that's, there is that's, no woman that's bad. <laughs> who consulted on that movie, and it. Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem. Is I, I agree. You can totally have a sex scene where you are commenting on porn that is sarcastic and playing it up, but it doesn't. Watching those, especially the ones in Basic Instinct, doesn't feel like it's in on the joke. Right. Especially there's a scene in Basic Instinct between. Michael Douglas and Gene Triplehorn. And it's a rape scene. The movie does not treat it as that. The movie's like, well, his dick is just so good that she got into it. And I remember watching it, and it's pretty early in the movie. And I go, wait, fuck. Our protagonist is just a rapist. The scene is is truly god awful. <laughs> yeah. And you're supposed to be somewhat like you know he's a little bad. Yeah. 
But that puts an entirely different spin on like on the whole thing, and the movie does not acknowledge that that's what it is mm-hmm. at all. Yeah, no, you're right. So I do think there that you know having a, I mean now they're intimacy coordinators, but having a sensitivity reader on board say, hey, you you can play with this, but you're not like you're not actually making a comment here. You're just doing it. Mm-hmm. What are you saying? Because this doesn't say anything other than now I'm going to spend the whole movie following this guy. He's actually just a rapist and he's a piece of shit. Why am I supposed to root at all for him? Like, really I would like love her Douglas. to to <laughs> poke him in the eye with her ice yeah. pick. Great. He deserves it. There you go. <laughs> um, a couple other uh, actually, I think, really good sex scenes were Brokeback Mountain and a History of Violence. Um, I think. Yes, History of fit- Violence. Definitely. Yeah, they fit the story and and everything that they're trying to say. I mean, Cronenberg again, finger on the pulse of exactly what he wanted to do and uh, and and what he was trying to say about a life of violence and never never really truly shedding your past, even though you you you, you can change to a certain degree. But yeah, they're uh, think, very intense scene. It's 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 good. I agree about that one. I think uh, Brokeback Mountain needed some gay men to actually describe sex between two men. Oh, sure, sure. And I, I think but I think the the it's been years since I've seen it, but I think it's just the it's lacking the passion that you would you would see from it where it's the the tension is there. It, it's it's palpable and they just go at it. Um, and I think that it's it, it, it's just one of those carnal things. See, I that, think yeah. a movie that does a similar thing, but better is God's Own Country because it was actually made by a gay director. Hmm. Well, there you go. And I, I yeah. think it does. It, it does that same, that carnal, and I know what you mean, but I also think that um, that's just, they just ate a bunch of beans. They're not going for anal right now in a tent <laughs> with no lube. Yeah, I know, but I suspend disbelief a little bit for that kind of stuff. I mean, it is Jake Gyllenhaal after all. He's a he's a handsome guy. Secretary, <laughs> great, not necessarily sex scenes, but great intimacy scenes in Secretary. Sure. And that it, it's basically, I mean, it's messy. It's a woman's fantasy and it's great. It's so, it's out there. And I love that it's out there, that it is actually a woman telling this incredibly kinky story and not in the Fifty Shades of Grey way, where yeah. it's like, hey, you're not writing about the kink you think you're writing about. You're, you're basically writing a Bluebeard story with some pretty vanilla kinky sex. Yeah. <laughs> but Secretary really, it has that, it, it's messy great but you were watching it from her perspective and she is an active participant in everything that's going on yeah. and that's what makes it so good that's highly important too mm-hmm. so um you know i'm a big time fan of films where the plot is ambiguous with clever you know quote whodunit approaches and wild things does not disappoint in that realm i do believe that one of mcnaughton's strong inspirations had to be rashomon where three tales of crime differ per the perspective of uh, three main characters uh, with nuance between them but then also very very big differences so this can also be an infuriating approach in films unfortunately but um did you like this somewhat non-linear and unclear storytelling that's one of my favorite things, actually. That's I, I do that in my writing all the time and need to wean myself off of that. I <laughs> I love that structure, that, that you don't know, you know, that you're playing with perspectives and whose story this is and what's going on at what point. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. I, I agree. It's for me, it just helps with, uh, you know, I love exposition, but I, I like, I don't like exposition dumps. Mm -hmm. I like to figure it out as I go. And so when they do subtle things, it's wonderful. I mean, I talked about the invisible man. Um, I watched it the other day on last night on, um, Peacock and second time watching it, but I I really love to rewatch it because, Mm -hmm. uh, the camera Lee Winnell did a great job of shifting the camera just uh, panning over to an empty hallway mm-hmm. and you're kind of like what am i looking at this empty hallway but then you continue and then you find out yeah you, you and, and your eyes play start playing tricks on you but it's it, it's purposeful it's like you're looking at everything around there to be like okay is she crazy am i crazy is this real what's going on and that was a fascinating way to play with the camera so whenever there's a non-linear story like in a movie like gone girl or mm-hmm. Pulp fiction or vantage point or the last duel which the last duel pulls directly from Rashomon, in my opinion. Those are all fascinating movies, um, not necessarily brilliant, but fascinating movies for what they do with their story structure and how the exposition's there. And it's a, you know, it's a twist for the most part. And I think it's really smart when you're doing it in a case where you are playing with the idea of false confessions that are, but really aren't. And you're doing this, he said, she said, mm-hmm. it is, it's playing with what our expectations already are. And then it's, yeah. it's flipping them in ways. Um, so yeah, it's one of my favorite story structures (laughs) it's it is really great and it's it's unfortunate that we you know i'll I'll watch certain movies and the The handmaiden does it that's the whole that's how the handmaiden is plotted uh yeah three parts and you're going back in time into different perspectives oh my god that movie is so good i fucking love it it's a masterpiece i've only i know of it i've never (gasps) seen it Um, no you have to it is gorgeous it is sexy Oh my, we should discuss it. I I love it so much. <laughs> All right. Um, do you have any other examples of the, like the nonlinear approach in, in, in films that you really liked besides The Handmaiden? The Handmaiden. <laughs> um, oh God, let me think. I mean, I, I like it here. Um, where else do I look? There's definitely other places um actually you know what i've been watching the newest season of the witcher and that's my favorite episode of the third season so far the one where they do that um (laughs) yeah i've i i don't watch the witcher but um i've heard good things i just could never get into it but it's it it does just keep you invested Mm -hmm. and this was fun that they didn't release those easter egg or those i guess those uh, clues until the very oh, end uh, you know on what, what happened. Yes, there's a French movie that I watched in French class way back in high school called um, A La Folie is the French title. And the mm-hmm. English title is He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. Mm. Um, it's Audrey Tutu from Amelie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it sets itself up as a rom-com and then pulls the rug out from under you. Ooh. Yeah. Twist. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. So the Van Ryans, they're obviously the one percenters who literally could get away with murder, whereas middle low income Sam Lombardo and Trailer Park Everglades resident Susie, they have to kind of fight for the economic scraps. There's, it appears that they're just getting by. This movie is full of murder, extortion, and deception. So with everything we know, should we care about the Van Ryans kind of getting screwed over? Or should we be rooting for Lombardo and Susie to quote unquote win because of their financial situations? I mean, Mrs. Lombardo, fuck her. I mean, not Lombardo, Mrs. Van Ryan, whatever, screw her. 
Yeah. But no, I'm I'm Team Kelly. I'm not Team Mr. Lombardo. And I, I think there's a difference between his class class status and Susie's. Susie's Susie lives in, in a trailer park. Lombardo is in debt because he makes bad decisions. Yes, yes, he has delusions of grandeur and want and aspires to an upper echelon status because he wants to marry into money. Susie's just trying to fucking get by. It, yeah. They're not the same. Um, also, he's sleeping with his students. So fuck <laughs> yeah. him. Yeah. He's, a, he's a scummy piece of shit. I, I am team Susie and Kelly all the way because Kelly is, is a product of her community. And honestly, none of the plan was her idea. It was Susie's idea. So it's not like this was all her her master plan. And you have to wonder, why is she going along with Susie's plan? Because she, they're in love. That's yeah, and Su- Susie, I think, you know, played Kelly Van Ryan with with her her lust for Mr. Lombardo and, and saw it clear as day and was like, oh, okay, I can use this. Mm-hmm. Um, but then was also... Had had the cunning to be able to to uh, have Kelly Van Ryan kind of fall in love with her too to a certain degree, and so Susie just has this infectious nature to her, um, where she tries to play this kind of pariah, but really she knows pretty much everything. That's mm-hmm. and 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 she she is kind of, I mean, she killed somebody, so she's still not good. But what I'm saying is. She got this money. She bought Walter a truck. She gave her mom some money. And okay, then she killed she's... two really bad men. Sure, sure, sure. I'm not saying I'm I'm not judging their character. I'm just saying she still <laughs> killed people. Yeah, so it's still it's it's still know. like, you know, she's literally getting away with murder. And the jury's out on on how we feel about it. Um, but I'm I'm saying if I had to choose, she's doing the right things. Like she gave money to, to Walter to buy a truck mm-hmm. and gave money to her mom, and she's now gonna ride off into the sunset. And so it's like, okay, cool. She escaped oh, this situation. She I got rid of that woman's Lombardo. not even her mother. I thought that was her mom. I don't think that's her mom. I think she's an orphan. I think that woman just owns that like trailer park and takes care of her because she feels bad, but there are no parents. Oh, I thought it was her mom. No. But I, I guess I'm, I, yeah, I stand but corrected. Also, so here's the thing about um, Duquette. He's a cop who who killed two people and framed oh, yeah. them. So he, he's, he's, a, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, he's, she he's bad. did us a favor. <laughs> I, I know, and I, I guess for me, I'm just not an eye for an eye guy. Um, but I'm in, in, either, the, in the but in the world of movies, I am. Yeah, in in the world of movies, it's like he got what was coming to him, and mm-hmm. I mean, he he killed Kelly Van Ryan when she didn't need to die, and right. he was very nonchalant about it. He's like, whatever, he got tied up loose ends, and you're like, okay, that's still a person. Yeah. So, <laughs> but here's the thing: if he's never going to face any real consequences, then yeah, screw him. And in the world, and unfortunately, in the real world, that's probably true. But actually, because of the class status difference between him and Kelly and Ryan, he probably would actually face real consequences. Mm-hmm. There would also like, I don't, you know, now they, there'd be an investigation and they would easily discover that there's no gunshot residue on her hands and that oh, sure. he, you know, the angle. So the angle, he would, yeah. you know, he would be fried because she came from that class status. Um, but in the world of a movie, I am all for revenge. Yeah. And me as someone who wanted to be a cop, like I was looking at this, I'm like, there's no way he'd get away with this. It was way too messy. You know, he would easily get get caught and there would be an investigation. So but that's the but thing about movie. erotic yeah. thrillers and film noir. They're so out there. And I think that's what this movie does so smartly is it takes that and says, well, let's just push it. Let's just 
take it and and every time you think oh you've watched that movie and you think well those two characters are sleeping together and those two characters are sleeping together you know what you're right they are everyone sleeping together and this goes to the sex scene that should have been in the movie which is between Duquette and Sam Kevin Bacon and Matt Dillon were supposed to have a sex scene which is and it's still wildly hinted at in the movie we get. It's very clear that there's something going on between them. When um, Susie sends Sam after Duquette in the bar and he sits down right next to him and goes, what are you drinking? That's flirty. That's not just like, yeah. hey, buddy, fancy a beer. It's like, what are you drinking? Quote, quote, can I get in your pants tonight? Oh, and, yeah. and so there was a sex scene between them written in and Kevin Bacon bless his soul was so pro the scene and him signing on as a producer is a big part of what got this movie made um mm -hmm. but the studio fuck them scrapped it they said it was one step too far but actually it explains so much more because now we just have to piece it in our minds and be like well why didn't they have a sex scene because they're clearly boning yeah and that is the scene that should have been in it and and if kevin bacon <laughs> had his way it would have been in there so Go, Kevin Bacon. Free the bacon. <laughs> <laughs> he already did. Oh, I want more bacon. Bacon and eggs. <laughs> so the only problem that I, I do and have. And what? Dill. And Dill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what would he be called? Dill. That doesn't sound good. And be. Yeah. I guess that's all we could run with. Bacon yeah. and Dill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I do want to take a quick little break and talk about our sponsor, Liquid IV. So it is uh, almost the tail end of summer, and it's been pretty hot out still. Uh, we all know that with the heat comes that uh, oh-so-wonderful sweat. Sweat is a wonderful way that our bodies cool us down to combat hotter temperatures, but the downside is that we lose a lot of electrolytes, potassium, and essential vitamins needed to keep our bodies going throughout the day. How do we retrieve those necessary essential electrolytes, you ask? Well, it's actually super easy and tasty. Just grab a Liquid IV. Liquid IV is the category-winning hydration brand fueling your well-being, and their hydration multiplier is the one product you're missing in your daily routine. In just one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. Use it first thing in the morning, before a daily workout, when you're feeling run down, after a long night out of drinking, and even on long flights. You know, I personally love using Liquid IV on all of my hikes, my bike rides, snowboarding, uh, my backpacking trips, whatever. I, I drink it all the time. It's actually really great. And I mix one in a 32-ounce bottle to kind of water it down a little bit, but it still tastes delicious. There are actually 12 delicious, refreshing flavors. Um, and so I use the lemon-lime. There's strawberry. There's guava. There's uh, a whole bunch. Strawberry lemonade, I believe. Many, many more. They contain five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C, and they have three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. They're made with premium ingredients, non-GMO, and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. And the best news of all is that as a listener of this show and the other show, the Top 5 Podcast, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use promo code DBCRAZYPOD at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop for better hydration today using promo code DBCRAZYPOD at liquidiv.com. Thank you, and stay hydrated. So the only problem I have with plot twist films is that the watchability factor kind of decreases after time. Like, once you know the twist with all the M. Night Shyamalan movies and such, you know, can you even rewatch a movie like Wild Things? Yeah, it's about figuring out the steps along the way. It's because when you find out the twists, and I, I think... With this one, it, it's not as many kind of uh, 
clues given to you throughout with some it really is about the little clues um crumbs yeah that you go back and you're like oh that's what that line meant Mm -hmm. um but i think with this one it's just fun it's just a fun movie yeah i i agree and i think it's nice to rewatch this one with time because Mm -hmm. i honestly forgot some of the plot twists i was like oh wait what happens here and that was neat because then after seeing it again i'm like oh okay um, and I was trying to pay attention to some things. I mean, I know Duquette one time says, you know, not everyone appears to be who they are mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, he he pretty much tells Susie what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so well, he doesn't say that to Susie. He says that to the student he's with oh, yeah. when he finds the teeth. But, but to Jimbo. that point, what I didn't catch the first time when he sees Ruby and he's going to see Susie for the first time and he shows up and, and as he's walking, Ruby goes, you're not going to shoot her, are you? The first time I didn't get that, but this time I'm like, this tells you right from the jump that this guy has done bad shit. He is a dirty cop. And then also when he's in the hearing and the guy is like, you know, will you do something once and it could be a, you do something twice. That's where they're telling us like, oh, oh, he has done this before. That makes sense. I, mm-hmm. I didn't catch that. See, and that's exactly why. You know, and, and this is recency bias, but Oppenheimer and Barbie, I, I want to rewatch both because two vastly different movies, mm-hmm. but both highly rewatchable Oppenheimer for the sense of it was such a fast paced and talky film. And I absolutely loved it. Um, but there are so many things that it's like a blink and you miss it mm. a line of dialogue or cameo. You're like, oh, my God, that's, you know, Albert Einstein, even though he has a bigger role in it. It's just there were certain people that were tr- true life, you know. Um, non-fictional people that you're like, oh my gosh, they're in it for five seconds, but you have to kind of pay attention. So I want to rewatch it for that. And Barbie, for the same reason, there's so much going on on screen that you kind of want to stop and be like, whoa, look at that funny Easter egg or, oh, this is what they're they're getting at or, oh, this this is a hint towards something. Mm-hmm. So I have seen um, Barbie twice, actually. Oh, nice. Fucking <laughs> loved it. Um, Oppenheimer yeah. was one of those ones I actually figured out what that twist was going to be well before it happened. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, but so here's the thing. I I write. I love mysteries. That's all I grew up reading um, and watching all of the Law and & Order and all of the crime shows. And I don't really watch them anymore. But I got real good at figuring out twists. Um, <laughs> so I remember the first time I watched Wild Things, I watched it with my fiance. And we're in the middle of it. And I said to him, you know, I don't know that this movie's going to do this for me. But the <laughs> best twist would be if like the girls were in on it and like it's really you know like if Susie really wasn't dead and then it happens they go they did what I wanted them to do I'm so (laughs) fucking happy (laughs) yeah like I you know I I hate when the woman just dies in the middle of it and then she's really dead and you're you're trying to tell me that this is twisty and like oh no it's just stupid men it's not (laughs) great thanks yeah, there, there's a sense of gratification when you're like, oh, okay, cool. It worked out kind of the way I was thinking, maybe slightly different than what I was thinking. But yeah, it still mm-hmm. gives you a little surprise. Like you know, I remember like, I read this script and it was for a neo-noir and the whole premise was like the ex-girlfriend who shows up and she's supposed to be like this mysterious character. And then 30 pages in, she dies and she's really dead. And I'm like, but she wasn't a character. Mm-hmm. She didn't do anything. In fact, she was an idiot and your characters all suck. <laughs> And your male lead doesn't actually make a single decision in this entire movie. So we're just following a wet blanket for no reason. And you set her up as like the femme fatale and she did jack shit. That's a bat. Exactly. (laughs) I I did write down a few movies and I'll 
uh, quickly hear your thoughts on it. So these are movies I believe that, you know, I personally rewatch because I love them and they're fun to rewatch. Mm-hmm. But Scream, The Sixth Sense, Seven, Fight Club, and The Prestige. Um, those are all movies that when I rewatch, I, I try to pick up those breadcrumbs and I pick up something new each time. The Shining also is another one that I draw something new from The Shining each time. Get Out was another one I recently watched again, and I was like, oh my God, I, I learned need something to do new. A of that one. It's those movies, just because of what you said, is, is those, those breadcrumbs, right? Those little clues that you maybe missed the first time around, and you're like, oh wow, it was so painfully obvious, but it also wasn't obvious too. And so I scream is like one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And I love dissecting it because then no pun intended. But (laughs) when you you pick up on the things that both Billy and Stu are saying, Mm -hmm. and you're like, you know, they're the killers, but you're trying to piece Mm -hmm. what's going on together. It's really well done. That was one I I, when I first watched it, I was like, it's Billy. And then it revealed soon. It's like, oh, I didn't see the second killer. I saw Billy. I got him. But. Yeah, Billy was a, a dead ringer, but you never expected Stu. And you're mm-hmm. like, there are two? And it just, I mean, they 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 try so hard to to zig when they're going to zag. And they're trying so hard to get you off of Stu because that's the trope. It's, it's, it's the boyfriend, right? And they even say it. They're like, we always arrest the boyfriend in these situations because mm-hmm. you're probably the most likely suspect. Um, Jamie Kennedy says it too, Randy. Um, mm-hmm. But they, the film is trying so hard to throw you off that scent. But in reality, it's like, nope. This is exactly what it is. And that's the beauty of Scream is the, it's it's trying to be satirical to yeah. the uh, or meta to the, the horror genre by breaking down all the tropes. But then the entire movie actually falls into all of those tropes. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I love it so much. It's but, promising you that it's going to do it. Yeah, and it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, that's what's really smart about it. It's very smart. So cool. Okay, last question here. Unless I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say actually to that thing about you know when you're watching a mystery and it's hard to. I love a good mystery where it's hard to guess, but I also like at the end when you do get the killer reveal. I want that to make sense. Sometimes you'll watch something and you'll realize that the writers realize that there will at least be people who figured it out, so they're going to give you the most out of left field answer. Hate that. Like, um, have you seen Broadchurch? No. Okay, so the the first season of that, the actual answer is the most heartbreaking, but also makes no sense. It's someone who is, is, it's literally like they just made him the murderer so that they could cause emotional turmoil to the female lead. It doesn't, there was never a point where he was really a suspect. There's no, like, oh, it is such a terrible option and because they also didn't tell the actor until the episode where it's revealed that he was the killer he's not playing he's just playing it like he's you know this doting husband supporting character who's a great guy until the very end which also fucks it up because it's like this twist doesn't does not make sense you're just you're doing it for to be emotionally manipulative but you did not earn it and this this guy does not make sense as your killer. Like, Hmm, and with what the case was, I loathe that. I was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. That's disgusting. (laughs) That's so horrible. So like, yes, give me a good, like twisty mystery. That's hard to solve, but make your, you know, make it make sense. Put the clues there because part of the fun is actually solving it. And like, yes, I got it. Or no, I didn't, but I see why it's that person versus Mm -hmm. what? No, but like when they did that with Gossip Girl where they made it, you know, Dan, 
And then everyone went back and was like, well, that doesn't even line up with the timeline you've given us. And the writers were like, yeah, we just did it because people had guessed who we were really going with. It's like, no, you should have gone with that because you put (laughs) the clues there. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a bummer. I feel like TV would probably be harder than movies Mm -hmm. because, yeah, you have so many episodes that you have to work on. But see, Broadchester is only a couple episodes, so Mm -hmm. they just did it to be confusing and it's like like even with twin twin peaks when you do find out who the killer is it's like no that makes sense yeah it's heartbreaking but it makes sense yeah okay well uh final question here it's you know it's quite interesting to see that this film is set in florida uh, that's a state in the United States for no one who knows that for anyone who doesn't know that I should say while the school and country club are very nice. The rest of the film kind of revolves around some pretty ugly set pieces, in my opinion, that actually kind of um, make me be OK without visiting Florida. And what I mean <laughs> is, you know, the beach doesn't look good. The Everglades doesn't really look good. It's not as glitzy, glammy as like a giant city. Um, it's it, it's just very odd. So why is this movie set in Florida, in this suburb outside of Miami, instead of somewhere else, like a Chicago and L.A. or or what have you. Oh, I think it's because of body heat. Body heat is is really what kicked off the erotic thriller genre. Um, and it's set in Florida. And it's all about, and you notice, they're sweaty all the time. Also, like, sidetrack, let actors be sweaty again. Let's see some sweat on screen. I am so pro that. Like, let actors be sweaty oh, again. Let people sweat. It's great. You know, if you watch Body Heat, he is just constantly or fucking all the time and he is constantly sweaty and you're just sitting there. You're like, yeah, bring it back. Um, so that's yeah. my sidetrack. But I, I think that's part of what it is, is that it, it's really um, paying tribute to Body Heat. Which is a very that is a, which itself is, you know, a, a sexed up remake of Double Indemnity. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I it does it, it does fit, um, and it does show some of the class structure, the differences mm-hmm. between it two, and it's just a little different. And I think that that's you know, Southern or coastal elitism is 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 different than a New York or a Chicago or a Philadelphia or Los Angeles mm-hmm. elitism. It's just, it's different. And so I think it does fit into that. Um, plus, I don't know. I, that's all I can really think of. I was, I was pondering for this one when I wrote it. I'm like, I don't really know. So hopefully Amanda knows better, but yeah. <laughs> I do think it's definitely about paying tribute to, to body heat. Um, and I think it's just about what Florida is. You know, yeah. you do have the country clubs, but you also have swampland. And it's it's the positioning of the Everglades and literal swamps with these ritzy country clubs. Where else do you have that? Oh, totally. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. So, Okay, well, that is actually all I have on Wild Things. Um, so now for your hottest take, go ahead and defend, uh, one of your most controversial takes on this movie, on movies of this genre, on actors, on movies from this era, on whatever you may pick. I feel like I've probably let it out there with this one, but I think this is the best of the erotic thrillers of the nineties. I think it's the smartest one. It, it, it takes all of the tropes and actually flips them and knows what it's doing. Um, and it, it lets the women truly get away with it. And it, it takes the idea of the the detective in the noirs who is not a good guy and says, you're right, he's not. So let's actually let him be the villain. He's not our protagonist. He's not our hero. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, I can see that. And I Googled, uh, you know, erotic thrillers of the 90s and a bunch popped mm-hmm. up. Oh my God, Holy we should totally buckets. do a bunch. We should talk about all of them. <laughs> oh my gosh, they have, have so, so many. I have so much to say about body of evidence or disclosure. <laughs> so much to yeah. say. Yeah, Eyes Wide Shut, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Consenting so Adults, mm-hmm. Jade, Indecent Proposal, Fear. Disclosure, Fear, mm-hmm. Fear, the pumping of the chest, <laughs> Sliver, um, oh, fatal man. attraction. Fatal attraction. She yeah, is China not Moon. a human. She is a universal movie monster. It's a very funny movie. Adrian Lyne has a weird thing about sex. I don't think he's a. I think he's kind of a prude. Um, so, that's yeah. neither here nor there. It's a lot. Okay, I dig that. And actually, my hot take, and I'll just uh, piggyback off of what you're saying. So this movie came out in 1998. Wild Things. I think that 99 is the best time for cinema, uh, for mm. movies in general. But 98 is pretty damn awesome as well. There are a ton of excellent movies. I'm talking Save it Pri- Saving Private Ryan, Armageddon, Practical Magic, Rounders, uh, personal favorite Basketball, Half Baked, Blade. Thin Red Line, The X Files, um, uh, The Water Boy, uh, The Siege. You know, there are so many good ones. Let me see what else there is. How many of those have you rewatched recently? So I haven't rewatched a lot of these because I'm not huge on nostalgia, but I, I haven't rewatched a lot of these in, in years. But quite honestly, looking at them, I'm like, man, I really should. Six Days, Seven Nights. I like that movie. Um, I should. I, I, I have to rewatch some of these. And then like A Bug's Life. I really enjoyed that. That was a good one. Um, I saw that in theaters. Ooh, uh, Disturbing Behavior. Urban Legend. I still know what you did last summer. The Faculty. <laughs> I, I rewatched The Faculty last year and it was it was uh, it was pretty solid. Halloween H2O. I love that one. Um, Enemy of the State. Snake Eyes. I don't Eyes. think I still it, know what you did last summer holds up to I know what you did last summer, though. Yeah, I. I didn't really like I Know What You Did Last Summer really? when I rewatched it last year. I was like, oh, oh man, it I just wasn't it. as good. It, it It's fun. It de- it's definitely fun, and I enjoy the killer. Um, I think there are moments that I'm just kind of like, eh. It yeah, just, it's not it's, the best. No, it's not the best at all. But it, it, I'm definitely going to rewatch it again in, in Spooktober. I, I watch yes. a scary movie every day. Oh, I do too. So, I can't wait for Spooktober. Yeah, I, I love it. I love spooky season. <laughs> oh, it's my favorite. I'll put some uh, some pumpkin spice latte mix on. No, I'm an I'm an apple cider. I'm an apple cider girl. I I like to do some spiked apple cider. There you go. That sounds delicious. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we, yes, the, the 90s were a very interesting era. Um, apparently, there were a shit ton of erotic thrillers. So that is fascinating to me. Um, but OK, cool. So what's your letter grade for Wild Things? Oh, I'm giving this an A. Wow. Damn. Okay. I think that this is a genius. Um, and I will do, when we finally do Roadhouse, I, I will have similar things to say about that in the Western genre. I think this is a fucking brilliant skewering of the erotic thriller genre that came out when the erotic thrillers were still kind of a thing at the like at the end of them. And it, it just took everything and pushed it in the right way. And I think it's so much fun and I think it's really smart and I think it's smarter. It was ahead of its time. And I, I think it it really holds up well today because it it never holds its female characters back. It lets yeah. them go all out and that that really helps it stay so fresh today. So I I fucking love it. Okay. Right on. I dig it. Um, I'm I'm about like a C, just a solid C, and that's that's seventy five percent. That's I mean nothing to bat an eye about. You know, it's I like it more than the critics and IMDb. Um, 
I don't think it's like one that I need to rush out to watch again, but I, I did really enjoy it. Like I was saying, the, the nonlinear story and for all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I give it a, I give it a C. <laughs> Solid. Um, okay, Amanda, thank you as always. So uh, why don't you tell everybody what maybe you're working on um, or where we can find you on social media? Yeah, right now I'm, I well, there are strikes going on. So I'm uh, working in true crime <laughs> in development. Um, so you can find me on social media at, Instagram at Amanda Jane Stern. I'm still on, are we calling it Twitter or X? I'm going to call it Twitter. I call it Twitter. I call it Twitter. That. I, don't, I don't do I'm X. not calling Elon it X. Can, Elon can suck a dick. So, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm on Twitter at that, but I, you know, kind of weaning off of that because of all the shit going on. So Instagram at Amanda Jane Stern. <laughs> right on. And thank you as always. I mean, obviously we're going to, I'm going to have you on a lot more, so it's going to be <laughs> really great. We will do Roadhouse. Um, and uh, we can just say, listen here, Riho. So <laughs> I, I, I love that movie so much. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I go crazy for Swayze. So I do cool. too. And I, I have so much, I have a lot to say about Swayze actually. I got to start doing like a six degrees of Kevin Bacon on, <gasps> on each podcast. Cause I mean, Obviously, we can link that to Roadhouse, too, with with uh, uh, Patrick Swayze being in that and then mm. he being in, in Outsiders with Matt Dillon and then mm-hmm. Matt Dillon being in this movie with Kevin Bacon. Boom, there's like two degrees separation. So mm. it's, I, it's I always, actually yeah. um, used to go to the same butcher shop that Kevin Bacon goes to. Ooh. Because I used to live on the Upper West Side and he lives on the Upper West Side. Um, and there is a butcher shop there called Hudson and Charles that... I, I used to go to, and that's apparently where he likes to go as well. Damn. Does he get extra lean bacon, or does he get I don't know, but I, I do like to say I know where Kevin Bacon buys his bacon. There you go. <laughs> I know who butters his bread. It's the, <laughs> it's the bakery next door. So. <laughs> um, awesome. Amanda, thank you as always. Of course. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter and threads at dbcrazypod and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, tell us if we're crazy, or just send us funny memes, pictures, videos, gifs, gifs, whatever you call it. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and leave us a five-star review if you like it. Additionally, we're also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy.